Hello and welcome to VHS Glow. I'm Katie and with me are MJ and Darcy. Joe is taking a hiatus to work on an exciting film project. He's still editing though. Thank you, Joey. Today on VHS Glow, we're talking about The Mummy. The Mummy is a 1999 action-adventure film written and directed by Steven Summers. It is allegedly a remake of the 1932 film starring Boris Karloff, but to me, the two don't seem that similar. In the 1999 version, sexy librarian Evie Carnahan played by Rachel Weisz, and her sexy drunk brother, Jonathan, played by John Hanna, rescue sexy French legionnaire Rick O'Connell, played by Brendan Fraser, from the gallows. O'Connell is their guide in racing a group of sexy gay American cowboys to the lost ancient Egyptian city of the dead, also of treasure, Hominoptera. A sexy secret society member, Ardith Bay, played by Oded Fair, also shows up, which is fortunate, because when Evie reads from the Book of the Dead, she resurrects Prince Imoa played by Arnold Vosloo, who was mummified alive and buried with flesh-eating scarabs as punishment for his affair with the pharaoh's side piece, Anak Sinamun. Imhotep sadly kills the cowboys in order to regain his physical form and resurrect his lover, and he causes some plagues and general CGI chaos. But once Imhotep has completed his ritual to become mortal, our heroes can kill him, which they do, and Jonathan, Evie, and Rick ride off into the sunset on camels. So the VHS cover calls it the best blockbuster of the year, which is hilarious because the year in question was 1999, the year I graduated high school. Five biggest blockbusters of that year were actually Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, which now reminds me that I was not at Blockbuster yet because I was at Toys R Us at that time and vividly recall all of those toys. Oh my gosh. The Sixth Sense, (laughs) Toy Story 2, The Matrix and Tarzan. The Mummy was sixth in terms of gross though. So at least audiences rated it way better than Wild Wild West, though not nearly as highly as the Blair Witch Project. But it was number one in terms of gross special effects. That's right. Because <laughs> of all the CGI plagues. <laughs> Well, I chose this movie because it came out when I was 16 and The Mummy was the perfect intersection of my childhood desire to be an Egyptologist and the horny bisexual teenager (laughs) that I became. I thought everybody in this movie was so hot. I still kind of love Rachel Weisz, to be honest. I just wanted to see how adult me would react. And now I'm old enough that I feel like a creeper. (laughs) I think everybody's like 23 in this movie or something. They're all babies. So fucking young. I've experienced that a lot. Lot as we've watched these movies where it's like oh these people I had crushes on now I'm like twice their age there's that weird disconnect where you're like oh wait I have to take that into consideration I feel wrong now <laughs> I know I was ready to die in the hell of speed being the hottest Keanu Reeves and now I'm like oh no he's baby <laughs> that's right was Sandra Bullock babysitting him did either of you see The Mummy when it came out? Do you have any nostalgia or recollections? I don't think I saw it when it came out because in 1999, I was very pretentious and just like seeing things like M. I mean, it's still <laughs> very pretentious. Picking high yeah, art? I mean, high art? Pretentious? Yeah, I was into things like high art. No, you had good taste. American we have the beauty. same like, music taste. taste. It's good taste. I think that I saw it on TV a few years later. And I think that this was in Japan where they showed every Sunday on NHK, they showed an American movie. You could watch that either with Japanese dub or Japanese subtitles. At that point, I was desperate for some American media. And so I think that that's where I first saw it. But honestly, I realized that I don't remember a ton of it because 
I kept expecting The Rock to show up at some point, but he's in The Scorpion King. Brendan Fraser, which I have nostalgia for, but he was exiled from Hollywood for being sexually harassed and then reporting it. Some of me is like, is the popularity of The Scorpion King because they stopped casting Brendan Fraser in the Mummy movies? If any of you have insight into that, that'd be awesome. And I also realized in watching The Mummy, complete side note, that Brendan Fraser's voice sounds exactly like John Hamm. In my mind, he's 90s <laughs> Hamm. He's like Don Draper. If Don Draper were an Egyptologist. Oh, I have to re-listen to it now. It's very deep and has a lot of vocal fry. And I feel like they clearly went to the same school of elocution. Brendan Fraser and John Hamm have very similar energy. I'm nostalgic for that era of Brendan Fraser. My final thing that I kind of have nostalgia for, actually it's fake ironic nostalgia, is movies full of benighted and ignorant foreigners trying to prevent the good imperialists from looting their cultural <laughs> treasures. Remember when that was acceptable? I will say, though, that I think that this movie does at least start to wake up from that approach to things because the foreigners are all idiots in this movie and the cultists are all like, please watch out, don't wake up this mummy. And the entire movie is basically them getting back to square one where the mummy is no longer awake. The warnings are fairly clear. It's similar to The Princess Bride in that it is both a film of its genre and then also a parody of it in some ways. Brendan Fraser's character is a pretty clear lift of Indiana Jones. Some of it seems a little tongue-in-cheeky in the same way Princess Bride was a fantasy adventure film and also the parody of them. What do you think, Darcy? I had never seen it before. So this last week was the first time I actually watched The Mummy. I do remember it being on the new release wall as a VHS cassette at my good job Blockbuster, but I didn't watch it at the time. I don't know why. I actually liked Brendan Fraser quite a bit. I'm guessing I thought it was too young for me, but I don't really know why I didn't watch it. But I really liked him at the time, but I liked him mainly for his dramas, which are lesser known and lesser remembered, I think. School Ties and With Honors are the two I like him the most for, and those are in that genre of college school movies. They were big in the 90s for some reason. Really enjoyed those. And then there's Encino Man. (laughs) I love Encino Man. Wasn't that a Pauly Shore vehicle too? It was. And those came out, I don't know, three to four years before this. So he was already kind of a 90s, not a major movie star, but someone who everyone recognized. I was a fan. So I don't know why I didn't watch this, but I just watched it this time with you all. To be honest, with our texting and the first time around, because the plot is a little, it could benefit from some editing. It's a long movie. It's so long. It's over two hours. So much longer than I remembered. When we watched it the first time, I was like, hmm. That was long, a little boring, a little much for me, but I watched it again this morning. I don't know if it was just my mood or what, but I actually liked it a lot more. I would say it was okay. I don't hate it. I don't love it, but it was engaging. I think I just needed to kind of get used to the different people and the overall plot and then just embrace the weird 90s CGI. Katie, how was it on the rewatch viewing for the first time as an adult? It was just so long. It was so long. It was like almost two hours and the plot was so baroque. They found several separate artifacts and had to go back and forth from Hamanoptera three times. It was a lot. Also, it took place in the 20s, so nobody was topless, which is a major mark against it in my mind. And also I am 40, so I'm a creeper for even wanting to see anyone topless in 
in this movie. I did like the four gay American cowboys because it was very Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. There's four himbo friends just admiring each other. Evie Carnahan would be the Mina Harker character, the resurrected love. And then I guess Lucy Westenstra would be Anax Cinnamon, maybe. I think they could have leaned into that harder. There's lineage to support this because there were a bunch of horror directors, because you both know I'm super into horror, that I super admire who did treatments in the early 90s. George Romero wrote one. Clive Barker wrote one. Mick Garris wrote one. Romero and Garris actually wrote in the early 90s and then again in the mid 90s before this was made separate treatments. And then the studio offered it to Wes Craven who turned it down. Oh, wow. So this could have been a horror movie. The 1932 version was a horror movie and it was really effective. It had this very sad Boris Karloff pining for his last love, black and white spooky, one of the original Universal Studios monster movies. And that was a six-parter, right? The Boris Karloff one was the beginning of the Mummy series. The last one was in 1955. But I think Boris Karloff is probably the only famous one. I think there were a lot of hammer horror takes. Through the 60s, there was a lot of Mummy's action. But I think you're right. There were a couple in the 40s as well, like Curse of the Mummy and stuff like that. Did the Clyde Barker one ever become... That never got produced, right? That was just written? Because I just read about it and sounded... It was like cult movie. (laughs) It sounded cool. No, if it had, I would have watched it. Because I love Hellraiser. I love Nightbreed. I love Lord of Illusions, which is underappreciated. I would have loved some 90s Clive Barker. Let's start a movement to get the Clive Barker version to happen. I know. Maybe we can cyberbully him into it the way that the internet finally got the Snyder Cut Justice League. He would have made it so much more gory and gay than it was. And I would have loved that for it. His version was not adventure. It was horror, I guess. And so he was going to make a cult out of mummies that he was bringing back to life. I love that idea. I would have been down for that. Me too. I would have also been down for like a George Romero version. What was the George Romero version supposed to be like? I think it actually was centered more around the love story. He did a couple treatments. Do you think you would have got your version with all the shirts off? This would have been... It's in the desert. It's so hot. Why wasn't anyone topless? (laughs) Right. MJ, what was your take on rewatching it as a grown-up? I'm just struck again by how long it takes sometimes for these movies to come out. This is like a decade of Mm -hmm. different conceptions and going back and forth. And then finally, it gets released in 1999. The amount of thought and just creative effort that goes into producing something that on its surface seems like pretty trashy. I just have renewed respect (laughs) for all of that as a grown-up. When I was growing up in the 80s, I guess I took each Egyptology for granted. Oh, there are these places of adventure and wonder out there in the world and enterprising explorers can uncover them. But all of the imperialist undertones of that were lost on me. But I like that this movie draws attention to that a little bit. Brendan Fraser's characters and like the French Foreign Legion, Napoleon and his army, they were the people that started modern Egyptology by bringing an invading army to Egypt. That connection there makes it very clear that there is this imperialist undertone to a lot of this, which was more apparent to me on rewatching this. At the same time, it also feel like it's a cliche now to be like, but post 9-11, this is kind of a strange film because there's just so much more attention paid to the Arab world and seeing them as people with their own rich identities and cultures and not merely the accidental owners of civilizations lost to antiquity. They have some actual ownership of these 
places that are on their land. And that in fact, their culture is also derived from this. A movie like The Mummy, to me, has a certain dated sensibility to it. I grew up going to museums with ancient Egyptian artifacts. And I remember reading lots of literature that talked about ancient Egypt as very separate from modern day Egypt. That separation to me feels much more of a 90s thing or earlier than it is now. I feel like it would be really hard to have a movie that's like ancient Egypt is full of grandeur and mysticism and wonder and modern day Egypt is just chaotic and lawless and dangerous. I don't know if that discrepancy, that dichotomy just does feel really strange to me now as an adult watching it. Now that you say that, we did what they would annoyingly call the history of Western civilization, which of course would cover ancient Egypt. And I think that was it. I don't think we ever talked about anything going on in Egypt throughout high school. Maybe I went back to that a bit in college. That whole area of the world just gets no update. Ancient Egypt is the land of learning and it's connected to the Greeks. Ancient Egypt is the cradle of civilization. Modern day Egypt, oh, it's an Arab state. There was no major revolution in the 70s and this has nothing to do with Israel and Palestine. Ignore Egypt. Everything going on there is behind the curtain. Don't look over there. But also just this feeling that they aren't also inheritors of this civilization, that only we inherit the civilization of Mm -hmm. ancient Egypt and like the sense that therefore we can send in gentlemen and gentlewomen to gentlemanly and gentlewomenly <laughs> loot lost treasures because it is oh our Western heritage. We're the civilized ones. We have claim to all this civilization. We have museums. I do like that the movie does present, at the end of the day, the Americans are all clueless and bumbling and just kind of idiotic in comparison to the cult. The secret society preventing Prince Imhotep. And then I guess eventually, since there are multiple entries in the franchise it's got to be more than one evil mummy coming back <laughs> so like they're preventing all of that the Ardith Bay character he belongs to it so does Evie's boss it does portray here's this society of people in Egypt that knows what's going on and so I guess that subverts a little bit of the imperialist tropes but also not It's just this secret cult of mystics. Egypt in the 20s is portrayed as still barbaric. Evie rescues Brendan's character from this execution. The character that was going to execute him is portrayed in really stereotypical gross ways. As an adult, that strikes me as much more tone deaf than I think it would have struck me in 1999. Yeah, definitely. I think the remark I made to y'all while we were (laughs) watching this was just that I wanted to be an Egyptologist when I was little because I a little colonist. I didn't understand. It's such a colonial urge to rob a people of its agency in claiming its history. We see this also in the US where it's understanding in all of the institutions that matter of indigenous peoples. It's just stuck way back. There's no modern. It's in the 1800s max and there's no understanding of the modern context. Katie did mention that there were these sexy gay American cowboys. And I'm just wondering, what were they up to? Were they at the best little whorehouse in Texas prior to their Egypt adventure? They were definitely of that genre. (laughs) That's what Texas A&M was teaching them was Egyptology, I guess, or desert guiding. Oh, yeah, that's right. 
There is a good scene where the Benny character on the ship, when there was a fight going on, the cowboys, the Americans, were a little gun happy, just shooting two pistols. It's going nuts. And he just looks at them and is like, oh, Americans. <laughs> then they do a close-up on a guy. He's not even pulling the trigger. He's just hitting the back of it. Like he's holding his gun and just it's hitting the, the hammer cock. repeatedly. The cock. Thank you, MJ. <laughs> the cock. He was hitting that cock. He was hitting that cock. He was slamming that cock hard. That was definitely the best little horror house scene of The Mummy. Sexy gay American copies. I don't know if I would call them sexy, but... I'm a little biased. They were, as a group, individually, no, but as a group of four himbos, sure. When I first watched this, I think my overall thought was like, what am I watching? (laughs) There was a lot and it just kept moving pretty quickly. But this morning I made my tea. I gave it another go, paid attention a little bit better. A number of things were coming up in my mind. One of them was just, I think I liked it the second time around more because I was thinking about Brendan Fraser. I just really liked him in it. I actually don't think this was a good Brendan Fraser movie as far as his acting goes. I just don't think he pulled it off that well. It just wasn't an Encino man. It, it was not of an Encino no, man. He wasn't caveman enough in this movie for me. But I enjoyed it just because it was him. One thing that I thought was cool, Imhotep had, I don't think they explained it really why he could manifest himself as sand, but that was how he would transform. And so there's a CGI scene at the beginning where sand is kind of sinking into the ground and you see the outline of a face, which was kind of weird, kind of cool, very CGI. And then later on, you realize that the fact that he could transform into sand, I think was just kind of a cinematic tool for them, a way for them to be like, well, how can we get this character inside the bedroom where Evie is when the door is locked? Oh, I know. I'll just show sand going through the keyhole. (laughs) Okay. And how are we going to transport her and this other guy back to one location from another? I know. I'll just create a sandstorm and they'll drop out of it. (laughs) It feels like wherever they had to cut some corners as far as just needing to edit, instead of actually editing the film, they were just like, sand monster, enter. (laughs) It was amusing. It was so weird. They didn't even explain it really. You just have to go with it. But I ended up kind of enjoying it. Maybe that's because in the early aughts, I was really into Buffy for a while. And I always liked how monsters would get killed and then they just kind of disintegrate. It was kind of like that, only bigger and with sand. So that was fun. Overall, I really like Egyptian mythology. And this has some fun references where I was like, okay, I know that's real. I know Horus is an actual god. I know Anubis is a god. What about these scarab beetles? So I actually looked those up. And they took some liberties with these beetles in the movie. <laughs> I don't think normal scarabs are flesh eating no. at all. I think it was more rebirth symbology. They're more like dung. They're, They're into, into dung. dung. They're like yeah. dung beetles. Yeah. They roll into little balls and then they hatch eggs in it or their little eggs feed off. It's pretty disgusting. I did read this on Wikipedia. So if you're into that sort of thing, check it out. They're also much smaller in real life. Yeah, these These were big. Gigantic beetles. And this is where it seemed like it was channeling Indiana Jones a little bit, where I felt like there were definitely some scenes that just looked like they could have been pulled out of the Temple of Doom, except they changed the people and the setting slightly. But the bug scene in Indiana Jones, where the woman has to open a door and put her hand in this little tunnel that's full of bugs, which I I hate. I hated it. I hated that too. That's what I was thinking of when the scarab beetles were crawling out of sarcophaguses or just attacking people in mass. That was a part of Egyptian mythology as far as scarab beetles representing the transition from death to the afterlife. So that was interesting. The Book of the Dead, the Book of Amun-Ra, all of these were just 
pointing to real mythology, which I think is fun. I always enjoy that. Not because it's being accurate to the actual mythology, but just because it mentions it, then you can go back and look it up. So that's actually what I was doing this morning, which is probably why I enjoyed it a little bit more. You mentioned the problematic treatment of Arab culture, which I very much agree with. I was thinking that a lot with the Gad Hassan character. This was what they would be potentially thinking as the comic relief character. But they presented this as a person who is smelly, greedy. He gets, of course, killed. He actually died not when there was a scarab beetle that had gone into his skin and was crawling around his body under his skin. That didn't kill him. It did make him mad. He then ran into the stone wall and that's what killed him. And then later on, they're going through his bag and they pull out a bottle of scotch and drink that. His entire character was just vice and sloth and greed. All of the seven deadly sins essentially (laughs) was represented (laughs) in this one poor guy, which is just racist. I don't see any other reason why they did that. I think it just needed editing. <laughs> a lot of editing. It had too many ideas. Just too much going on. It was unnecessarily difficult to follow. It was not a serious enough movie for you to have to look at Wikipedia to read the plot. In 1999, did Wikipedia even exist? You would have been so lost. Even the CGI, it was cheesy, but of the time, it was okay. That didn't bother me. It was a little laughable now. MG, you said this was the most expensive movie to produce in 1999. Was it just the CGI? Did I say it was the most expensive? I thought you said it was the most expensive CGI, maybe. It was a blockbuster. It was definitely one of the biggest movies. I don't know if it was the most expensive. I mean, it was very extensive. It's not Lucasfilm level CGI or anything like that. Before the Star Wars prequels came out, it was in that transition period between heavy prop special Mm -hmm. effects. Jurassic Park was very prop heavy special effects. And then you have the Star Wars prequels where they started leaning into CGI. And then this one, was largely CGI as opposed to leaning on props. And there is a really cool description of all of the production stuff that went into this. As far as special effects, they did spend, according to Wikipedia, like $15 million on special effects. On just mostly sand stuff. (laughs) Sand and beetles. On mostly sand. It was all sand. You got to get the right sand. What was your favorite CGI effect? Because my mind is the most laughable one, but I think the one that I like the most was the meteorite scene. (laughs) I like the scarab beetle CGI effects. When they're burrowing or when they're piranhaing. When they're devouring that guy at the end. I did enjoy the sand ones because sand is also a really hard thing to do well because it's all of this particle motion. No matter what, it's just a truth universally known that all CGI that's more than a decade old looks ridiculous. I just can't imagine spending $15 million to make what Roger Ebert calls not quite up there with Anaconda. (laughs) But as much fun as Congo and the Relic, (laughs) and it's better than Species. I just love that Roger Ebert was like, ah, not as good as Anaconda. That's the gold standard of trash movies. Not as good as Anaconda for CGI or just in general? For trashy action movies. Anaconda does have Ice Cube in it. It's hard to be Ice Cube. I love Brendan Fraser, but... And J-Lo. Oh, and J-Lo too. Oh, wow. For sheer terror. It's hard to beat being on a boat in the middle of a swamp. Maybe if there's a crossover mummy anaconda that would probably be the best one so darcy you had some fun questions so in the mummy 
Imhotep was punished by being buried alive in a sarcophagus with scarab beetles slowly eating away his flesh. And they called this punishment the Humdai. I'm probably mispronouncing that. I'm trying to remember how they pronounced it, but Humdai-ish punishment. If you had to think of a Humdai punishment, a Humdai-like punishment, what would be the absolute worst way to die that you can think of for your worst enemies? To inflict upon somebody else or for me to undergo? You're the pharaoh. You have the power to curse someone forever. What does it look like? Is it going to be another sarcophagus with flesh-eating beetles or something else? I feel like you would have to candy man to farewell to the flesh, smear him with honey, put him in an ant. That was mine. I'm picturing honey and ants. So basically we're all on board, but slowly <laughs> having just being eaten to death. <laughs> I also feel like being flayed alive would be terrible. I just got ear surgery to repair my ears and it was weird. I was fine. You know, you're completely numb or whatever, but I was just like, I still find it psychologically upsetting. So maybe that would be a fun way to torture people to death. What about you, MJ? What the Hamdai punishment would you do? What I would do is definitely some Chinese water torture thing with sand. So it'd just be dropping Ooh. sand, grain of sand at a time. Boop, 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 boop. While I'm doing that, I would just read some Roger Ebert two-star reviews. <laughs> That's really and like good. they'd be tied down, they'd be like, but you're not being fair. How can you say that Anaconda is the better movie? Sand, drip, drip, <laughs> drip. That would be a madness. madness. I know. This, this is, is like saw level. Can I add that they're being flayed alive while they're watching Anaconda? <laughs> yes, yes that... that's yes. right. That's right. That's <laughs> right. I just wheel in the TV car, busted old TV from middle school with a bad VHS player. Yeah, with the tubes, not a flat screen. That's right. They'd be like, I can't make out this resolution. This is terrible. The contrast is the all contrast off. The contrast is all off. What is this Where's line that keeps going up and down the screen? Please <laughs> turn on picture tracking. Darcy was honey torture the one thing or did you have anything else up your sleeve? That's what I was thinking, but now I'm going to add to it. So that's what's happening while, but they're still being subjected to more torture. This is for eternity. So they're tied to a chair, honeyed, ants are going to town while they have to watch Waterworld <laughs> on repeat. Oh my God. On a... That would be so much worse than Anaconda. The only break is that at about what would be 11 p.m. I know this is eternity, but there's still days. It's kind of more like Groundhog Day where it's just a day that repeats itself. So at around 11 p.m., it turns into Cinemax, but you don't have a subscription, so you just see those fuzzies. <laughs> and for everyone who experienced that, you know what that's like. Otherwise, just take the word It was just disappointing. And then at 12 a.m., the screen just goes black water world doesn't come back on until like 9 a.m so it's like cable in the 90s on hbo or cinemax while ants Damn. are still going to town both of you you're so sadistic i think <laughs> you're both sadistic <laughs> this took us to our darkest <laughs> wow. places oh i knew the mummy would bring it out my question is, assuming there is an afterlife and you're allowed to bring what you're buried with along with you, what would be the one thing you would like to be buried with you so that you can take to the afterlife? My answer is more fucked up than the torture <laughs> question because I love Pickle the Cat, my son and the light of my life. I would have to take <gasps> him out of my head. I you was, say, I was Pickle say, oh, in, a yeah. canop, in a canopic jar. <laughs> 
excellent. Is he still alive, though? I think they have to die to come with you, unfortunately. Okay. Okay. So I would have to Cleopatra style have a bunch of cats. So it's like our yeah. cats. Basically. If they were a little cat mummy and yeah. we would just live in the afterlife together. Yeah. Give him scratches and he would be happy ultimately. Get little Maybe cat he would spoons. hate me. No, it'd be great. What about you, Darcy? What would you take with you? That was going to be mine. I mean, it was a different cat, but our cats. I was going to get Elliot, but then I was like, well, Elliot's already dead. So am I like bringing my taxidermy cat? <laughs> oh my God. It got complicated real fast. If we can bring cats, definitely cats. If we can't, if this has to be more in the spirit of, okay, you're on a desert island forever, what do you bring? I would like to think that the afterlife, I don't want to bring anything because it's eternal bliss anyway. So you don't oh. Was that a cop out? That's bold of you to assume you're going to that afterlife. <laughs> That's a uh, bullsh- bullshit, Darcy. Oh, if I'm going to the other one, then I will bring fire extinguisher. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say some aloe or something because I feel like you just have a lot of injuries to tend to. What about you, MJ? What's the answer to that question for you? What would you take with you? I take with me my love for Brendan Fraser. We could have Brendan Fraser killed and mummified so he could come with you if you're interested. I I could do that. (laughs) I feel like people would object to that. I mean, what I would do is... This is so lame. I just have to mummify my copy of High Art and bring that with me. (laughs) What would you watch it on in the afterlife, though? Okay, what I would do is I would mummify my entertainment center with High Art. Honestly, maybe I would spare a pickle and just take my Kindle with me so I'd have some reading in between torturing or eternal bliss, whatever. I bring my phone so I can play Wordle. (laughs) (laughs) And Quirtle. Just wordling your way through the afterlife? Forever. Yep. Fuck, Mary kill, Evie Carnahan, Rick O'Connell, and Prince Imhotep. For me, it would be kill Imhotep. I just have no use for him, sorry. He's a little old for me. He can do sand. He could smite all of your enemies. Allegedly. He did make himself mortal and then get killed really quickly, so. I don't have enemies. That you know of. <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, ignorance is bliss. Fuck would be Evie for sure. And then Mary would be Rick. He'd be a nice husband. Yeah. <laughs> He'd take you on adventures. It'd be fun. He'd never be home, so. Exactly. Perfect, Perfect. husband. Yeah. He sends back souvenirs from <laughs> yes. his travels and his French Foreign Legion, his cute little French Foreign Legion uniform. It's fine. What about you, MJ? I would have to marry Imhotep because if we know nothing else about him, he really cares about his spouse. It's true. He's a wife guy or like a <laughs> lover guy. He would cross time for me, so that's pretty cool. He would really Gomez your Marticia. Yeah, he would. He's loyal. Yeah, you're right. Kind of fucked up that he needs to murder people in order to do that, but you win some, you lose some. But that's not a deal breaker. <laughs> <laughs> nope, not a deal breaker. <laughs> I think I would have to kill Evie. Sorry, Evie. Stabby stab. And then fuck Rick. I like how you didn't explain that. (laughs) Awesome. Great choices. Katie, what are your choices? I would also marry Frank. Because I like a wife guy. I don't know what to say. I would kill Rick and I would fuck Evie. Amazing. All right. Awesome. (laughs) Or like Rachel Wise. Like, call me girl. Right. Amazing. Wow. Is that the first time we've all had different answers? It might be. It It might be. be. Yeah. I don't think Rick would be a bad MJ, your answer where it was like he would never be home is the most Sagittarian (laughs) answer. 
<laughs> the ideal spouse is also off doing adventures and you're doing adventures. Sometimes you hang yeah, out. But, but not, all, not the all the time. Exactly. That's too much. It's a marriage of convenience and I'm totally okay with that. Y'all be explorers. Have your spreadsheet of your polyamorous alliances. So if he's in the French Foreign Legion, where's he from? Do I get dual citizenship somewhere other than... I think he's American. Could be Canadian. I think he's American canonically, though. He definitely sounded like it. Brandon Fraser is Canadian, but maybe the character is American. NJ, Darcy, thanks so much for this discussion on The Mummy. And listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Please leave us a rating and review and find us at Instagram and Twitter at VHS underscore glow to continue the discussion or to let us know which of your nostalgia movies we should add to our watch list. See you next time when we finally make Darcy relive the 80s childhood (laughs) trauma of The Peanut Butter Solution. Excellent. Which we are double featuring with 80s horror comedy, The Stuff. So it'll be a good one. (laughs) Excellent. It's going to be amazing. Excellent. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Goodbye.